1: that's shopify.com/specialoffer
0: when arsenal knocks on the door of players it's a different knock than other clubs slaps slaps slaps
1: the different knock an arsenal podcast but what made you so sure that this
0: was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know, though. Come on, it's
1: Arsenal. Welcome back to Three White Men Get Together and Try Not to Make a Podcast Challenge. An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Mandipani and my very good friends. George V. And Bradley Adams. We are back. We are back after a 2-0 win, after a very tricky game that we came through very well. I, I was very shocked... At how much of a challenge that was, um, I think especially physically. And we want to get into all of that. We'll get into some analysis of St James's Park and that sort of stuff. But firstly, how are you two? You're good. Uh, happy day. No.
2: Oh no. No, I'm not good. <laughs> oh, what's because up? Because they've given me hope. They've given me hope, <sighs> and that's the worst part. Is I'm now looking. I'm now looking at Everton, going, please get a result. Or I'm looking at Brighton, and and do you know what I mean? This is the worst part. I think even though I'd, I'd kind of jokingly kept up the persona that we're definitely winning the league, I'd consigned myself to second place. And now they've just given me that inkling of hope. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 a nightmare.
1: It is bleak. It's not as bleak as... I'm currently in Newcastle. Mm. Uh, and I, I nearly wore a uh, an Arsenal top today, but uh, I, I resisted it. What,
2: what in the fuck are you
1: doing in Newcastle, <laughs> of all places? Uh, be, beats me, mate. Um... Uh. Look, let's do our word of the game. Um, I want to start and I want to go with foreboding. I think I'm really pleased with our performance. And I think we found a different way of winning, which we haven't always done this season. Um, I don't think, I think there's been a lot of results-based analysis of this. I, th- I don't think the performance was, you know, some people are saying, you know, what a performance. You know, some of the best, you know, one of the best results we've had this season. I'm not quite there. Um, I've, I've, we gave up a lot of big chances, and that was uh, concerning. Um, you know, they they. I, I, it's as I say, credit to us for finding a different way to win. But you know, I I can't imagine Mikhail's plan was to have less possession, less xG, less final third entries, less zone fourteen touches. I can't, you know, even if that was our plan, I can't. Well, even even if that's that's what happened, and we're pleased with the result, I can't imagine that was the plan. But to be honest, the foreboding feeling is St. James's Park. Oh, I was saying hard, to the cabbie on on the way in, really nice sort of soft-spoken Geordie guy who's <laughs> classics. way I mean, off to
2: St. James's for the game,
1: I Oh, man, I love Scottish people. So that's such a good impression. Um, and uh, and classic, his, his cousin ended up apparently being uh, an Arsenal Academy graduate, but anyway... Um, <laughs> He, uh, classic, classic, classic cab conversation. And, you know, he, he was, he was lovely, but I was saying to him, I feel like in the same way you're going to mark out Anfield on your calendar as kind of like you have 19 away fixtures. Sorry, you have 18 away fixtures plus one, which is Anfield. I have a feeling that St. James's Park is going to become plus two because that was intense. That was an intense game. And if they get, uh, if they get the right, if they get the recruitment right, which, you know, they, they have Dan Ashworth and stuff like that. I'm concerned about how that game shakes out in in the seasons to come because, you know, when you have a crowd, you know, what, what we spoke about at Anfield, when you have a crowd, it can give you plus 2%, plus 3% on your performance just from the intensity. It's a real, it's a real asset. And it's something, you know, you come all this yeah. way up up to, up to Newcastle and I promise you this city is football mad. Uh, having been here for 70 minutes and you know it's 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 sort of it's sort of scary so that's you know we'll talk about it a bit more but that's kind of my my main feeling is actually concern for for future seasons about going to St. James's Park if they get it right but George your word of the game and your your thoughts please
0: I'm surprised to hear that. I know for me personally, whenever I was in circles, I was saying St. James's Park is going to be a slog. It's going to be an insanely uh, difficult game. You know, they lost one game all season to a 10-man Liverpool team. I mean, I think the, the sample's there. And, you know, when you start to look even at Arsenal's turn of form, right, uh, Look, Newcastle came 12 months later than our initial form did. But when you look at kind of Newcastle's form since January of last year, the sample of them being a top three team has not just been this season, has not just been the last 15, 20 games. It's been for the better part of over 50 games now, where they have shown to be a top three team. So I think this idea that, you know, Newcastle, I think under the rug, everybody acknowledges what a great power they could be. With what you know the Saudis are, I don't hear enough of the great power they are currently. They are a very good team. Um, so w- when I looked at kind of the the word of the game for me, though, I think ultimately it was courageous. And the the biggest reason why is because they came to kick us off the park. Let's have. It right, and the referee uh, was abysmal in that game. And I hate doing tactical analysis on the referee, but that was the ploy. They came to kick us off the park, and there were players, big players, by the way, who I have criticized in the past for not being physical enough. Martin Odegaard, who has stepped up and was courageous enough to take the game by the scruff of the neck, something which I think, despite his brilliant season, he hasn't done enough of this season. And he did it in spades, and probably what was the 20 minutes of the first half of some of the best football I've seen him play in an Arsenal shirt. And it wasn't just him. To a man down the list, everybody was courageous in the challenge, courageous in their um, ability to play through the press because you talk about how intense that was. How many people were confident of Jorginho in transitions against this physical Newcastle midfield? Tell me that wasn't a talking point at the beginning of the game. Everybody was. How many people were curious about Kiwior's defending right side channels, which we hadn't seen the game previously against Chelsea, they didn't press. Everybody was concerned. How is Kiwior gonna handle the press? Well, brilliantly. How is Aaron Ramsdale, by the way, gonna do? Everyone keeps saying that he's had a poor run of form in the previous four games, and he comes out with a one-nothing brilliant save with the free post header. So I just think to a man when I go back, and of course I gotta end on Granite Shaka, the man of the match, and I don't want to take away people's other analysis points, and we'll get to it later, but that boy's performance um, yesterday was something special. That tackle that's been flying around on Twitter, it's just courageous. It's—it's. It's, I think when your team gives you that kind of performance, you respond as a fan. And I think that we could have lost, and everybody would have been damn proud of the team for the way that they yeah. uh, performed.
1: Yeah, I think, to be honest, mate, I, I've got to hold my hands up. I, di- I, I didn't expect it. I, thi- I think I still think of Newcastle as a kind of, you know, a team that have had some investment, but are still really a sort of Steve Bruce, bottom of the league, kind of, you know, are, are on a good run and have had, you know, kind of turned things around, but we should go there and smash them. They're not that. And I, and I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of credit to be given to Newcastle, a lot of credit to be given to Eddie Howe. I listened to a podcast of his uh, on the, uh, what's it called? It's that Jake Humphrey high performance podcast, which, by the way, is the most vague thing I've ever listened to at times. It's like, so what did you do to, to change your performance? What are you doing? We just looked at internal practices. What internal practices? We just changed some things that were happening for like an hour and you're like please let's have some detail um but yeah but to be fair the, the bits of detail that he did give were all about his self-reflection and all about how he how he looks at himself to to improve and I'll I'll, be, I'll hold my hands up I, I thought you know quality wise we were we were certainly matched and when you consider the likes of Jacob Murphy and you look consider the likes of you know realistically they've not even started really their recruitment cycle in a lot of phases of their of their um of their plan it's it's really impressive however I completely do agree with you George they were massively helped by a referee I wonder whether in a couple of years when the feel good factor around Newcastle has slightly uh, waned waned yeah or just just been around for a little while people start to think that it's not just this new exciting team that everyone's excited by hopefully referees start going hang on a minute you're just smashing everyone i think it was like so it ended up being like 28 fouls with you know two cards for them or something you know ridiculous um brad i'll come to you for your for your word of the game um because yeah i I, i'll be honest i knew it was i knew it would be a tough game i was worried about it but i didn't realize the quality level i thought we'd control the football i thought we'd i thought we'd be 60 70 percent in the same way that we are at the emirates they controlled it, they created a lot of big moments had a lot of big chances, mm-hmm. and I don't yeah. I don't believe we were you know miles off our level, so fair play to them
2: no, I think listen um N- Newcastle employed some shoddy tactics at the Emirates um to keep the ball out of play, and that th- it was a, they came with a different game plan so sorry to cut you off. did you see that thing I think it was Dan Byrne who
1: said. Uh, well, you know, we can't do it as they said that we did at the Emirates. They said we were doing some time-wasting at the Emirates. I mean, they said it. It's not us. <laughs> Just like, no, you objectively time-wasted. Stop saying we said you time-wasted. Yeah, you time-wasted. Yeah, it's a bit...
2: Yeah, listen, time-wasting time time, time wasting is something that needs to be gotten rid of in football for both sides of it. I, I you know, I, I I won't champion Arsenal for doing it because I I've criticised Newcastle for doing it. My word of the game is courage. Um, yeah, well, I mean, George said it enough, but uh, to, to go with something else, it's dimensions, isn't it? When sometimes there are going to be games, no matter the opposition, that things do not go your way with a referee or you are just going to come up against a team that somehow because they are on their day. Look at what's literally having happening to Brighton right now you know, they're getting absolutely smashed by a relegation fodder team. Sometimes something isn't going to go right and you have to be able to, in the moment, find new dimensions and new ways to play and and new things to offer. Uh, And like George said, grab it by the scruff of the neck and do it. And I think that that's something we did very, very well. Um, And whilst I don't think it was our best performance, I think it's definitely one of our best results of the season comparative to performance. You know, you look at, the performance level and you look at the fact that we came away with a 2-0 win at St James's Park it's it's very very impressive now i hold a, a little bit of a different opinion of newcastle i think they're going to go through that uh, with a perception change comes a different teams playing against you differently. And I think that this season and last season, teams have massively benefited from the ideology that we talk about in the way that we look at Newcastle as this Steve Bruce relegation fodder shithouse team. And so lower level sides and mid table level sides open up more because they have a belief that they can get more of a result. And as that changes and also as they have to, because that style of player is, is never going to win them a title. It's never going to get them to that next level. There's a reason that they are what it, whatever it is like 16 points behind us. And as they go through that transition, transition, they are going to fall away a bit and it is going to be a tough ride because they don't have the squad to manage Europe and the premier league. And there is going to be FFP breathing down their necks, especially with what's going on at Man City. Um, so I think they're they're in for a bit of a, a harsh awakening next season. But like you say, it is one of those away fixtures every season that you look for and go, I hope this doesn't come at a crunch point. And for the second season in a row, it, it kind of has for us. And whilst I think that there's there's definitely analysis to be done on how we played, I think that to go there, to not be at our best and to still have certain players drag us through the mire and get us there is really, really impressive. Um, and also the main thing I want to praise is Mikel actually made active um, substitutions that I thought were really, really impressive. You know, seeing that Zinchenko wasn't his best game, especially defensively bringing on Tini, I think it was, like, what was it? 50 something minutes? Yeah. 60. Yeah. 56, 50 something, 56, 60 minutes or something. Um, yeah.
1: Great, 50, great. 60, 70, great 80, 90. Somewhere around there. No, I, I think you're right. And just in case we don't get back to it, um I thought it was the it was the perfect substitution because I thought I felt, felt Marciali was getting isolated on the left hand side, and I felt that we were getting a little bit exploited well, in the Well, actually, so sorry, sorry to was... come in
0: and at the expense of being kicked off the pod and for interrupting the host. It's um, I think it's you're a significant off. yeah <laughs> yeah you're gone. Um, I do think it's a significant change, not just because of Zinchenko, by the way, but because at the same time we saw Shack in a different role um, yesterday.
1: Yes, he dropped okay? back in. Yeah, he dropped back into yeah. the, the pivot. Something that everybody
0: told me he couldn't do when he magically forgot that, by the way, he was a top two pivot player when he's been for that in the league. When we've done our top four challenges, Granite Xhaka has been a pivot player. That is his bread and butter. People forget because he's had been so amazing in this new role. But with that change, again, I was left a little bit frustrated that Mikel didn't do this from the off because what we started to see was Zinchenko drift wide as a result of Granite Xhaka dropping deep. That kind of change in terms of where your central midfielder and what that impact has, on you up the pitch and to the side is really important for me because beyond the defensive ability with Zinchenko, we were finding him a lot more wide in this game than we were kind of in the middle of the park. There were still times he came inside, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, we found Granit Xhaka dropping deep in this kind of rotation of, you know, Zinchenko offering himself wider um, in a wider role with Martinelli coming inside. And I think that's an important flexibility that this team needs to get him a little bit more accustomed to because there's going to be games for both people. And there's going to be times when, you know, you do want to use your squad. And look, I'm glad he did it. But I think the frustration for me is if you're going to make a solution, complete the solution. We kind of said something very, very similar when we talked of Jorginho in the middle of the park. And we talked about some of these other constructions where we needed to make sure that kind of the opposite sides had the spacing correctly there. We made the changes eventually. But if you're going to stick to a plan, believe in it. Don't kind of halfway put your foot in to one way or the other, because I do think that it didn't give Zinchenko the best platform. I'll be fair to him. If you're asking him to be more high and wide, we know he's going to struggle with that kind of um, dynamic. And we know that he's going to struggle with that defensive ability, by the way, because Zinchenko is a very front footed defender. But if you're asking him to be isolated, one V one out with a winger, that's on you. I mean, Jacob Murphy is not somebody that I would say is dynamic enough to do what he did to him. Um, and it was a simple jink in and outside. It was just a matter of putting your players in zones that they're comfortable in. Another bingo thing. I've talked about it so many times. I think Mikel needs to be a little bit more proactive in terms of his plan. If you put somebody in one situation, recognize the pod that that symmetry comes with. Don't put Trossard as a touchline winger when you know he's a combo player. Put him in places that you know he's going to thrive. And that's not to say that you know when he is touchline, he offers nothing and anything like that. He does, but you you don't get the best out of your players asking them to do roles that they're not comfortable with. So um, I think it was a big change, to be honest with you.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's something I've got an eye on next, next season with Mikel, you know, just after another couple of signings. Is he still... Are there still players in roles that I don't think are completely suitable for them? Because I think there's a few, a couple at times this season, and and I also think this is part of a wider conversation around that left hand side, Zinchenko, Xhaka, and an, an evolution around there. Does Kivior go in at left back sometimes? You know, I think it's, there's going to be a real evolution. I think that is my prediction for next season in the same way that we saw the evolution to the more inverted fullback uh, style this season. I think obviously that will continue, but I think we'll see, uh, my prediction is we'll see more of an evolution on that side. Um, let's talk about the game from a from a structural perspective. I thought we played nicely at times. I thought we were making the pitch really wide, which was, was something that was a, a nice feature of our game. I did feel because, because Newcastle um, weren't resetting Really, they were just trying to snap straight back in and and, and go after you. They weren't trying to reset. I don't think they were particularly trying to build. They were just trying to get it forward as as quickly as possible. Um, Not in terms of route one, but just literally moving the ball ball through the midfield. So I felt as though we could snap into our press a little bit sooner, personally. But really, the I guess the feature of it because I felt as though once we if we if we were holding onto the ball, if we were retaining the ball, if we were if we were moving properly through the thirds, they couldn't get near us. The feature for me was the jewels. And and Brad, I don't know if you want to come to you. I mean, how how did you see that playing out? Because I I, I personally felt as though Newcastle basically won two thirds of the duels. and the fact that we came away for, <laughs> came away with a two 0 is is impressive. Because on another day they score a couple of those goals, and we we be cry the fact that we lost basically two thirds of the duels. Do you know What I mean? So it was it was yeah. pretty amazing that we managed to do it.
2: Yeah, mate. I mean, they hit the woodwork twice, so it's. It. this is what I mean by like, it's, it's really difficult to, because I want to, I want to praise and I want to praise and I want to, you know, praise this result. But the problem is, is the performance wasn't where we needed it to be for a couple of reasons. One of those is the fact that normally what you'll see statistically bear out, you're losing a lot of the jewels, you're probably going to end up on the end of a negative result because you're, you're coming away with less of the ball. You're coming away with less of the opportunities. And especially because some of those jewels will be in higher advantageous zones for your opposition. If you're losing those jewels, you're giving your opposition a much, much easier opportunity to get on top of you. And, um, I think it still showed this game, the importance of having a profile and a player like Granit Xhaka, who is an absolute second ball magnet. And whoever we pick up in the midfield has to have that quality in terms of an upgrade. Um, it has to be an upgrade on Granite Jacker. We cannot lose what Granite Jacker offers. It has to be a player that has all of that and more, which is why the transfer record record's going to get broken for somebody like I or Rice. Um, I yeah, it, it, it it's hard to say other than we we did just not win the jewels today, and they it wasn't. It, I don't think it was a question of they were more up for it or whatever, but. This 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 seems like it's becoming a bit of a rivalry, Newcastle Arsenal, probably because we're on the up at the same time. It's very fiery uh,
1: in terms of the players.
2: Very fiery yeah. in terms of the players. You know, I think there's probably some. Uh, I don't know if it's it, it. This is very like Richard Keys' analysis of me, but the fact that you know Bruno Guimaraes the fact that we were linked to him, Newcastle got him. He always seems up for a fucking game against us for some reason. He's just decided he he doesn't like like
1: us. He put like, in his signing video, he like quoted Arsenal or something. And also, you know, realistically, five of those players were on the pitch last season at the end. So I I do think there is a bit of a, Mm -hmm. there's a bit of history there. So yeah.
0: So I think, yeah. I think that there's a couple things here because there's definitely a tactic that I think we struggled in, but we used it to exploit them. And, you know, Alex, you had mentioned that, you know, we were really wide in the pitch in possession. Um, the, the the drawback of that was that left a lot more space for our fullbacks to defend, and we got ripped apart on the wings by um, Newcastle quite a bit. And it wasn't just the press, but, you know, Alexander Isaac had a phenomenal game against Ben White, who struggled quite a bit to contain... Um, Alexander Isaac, and you know KiwiR didn't feel comfortable kind of stepping into wide spaces. He actually curbed his aggression quite a bit. He's normally a very aggressive natural defender. But what I found is that we sacrifice the sides. And it is something I kind of alluded to last time when I said, listen, when you do a double pivot, the result is you leave space wide, not centrally. When you do a single pivot, you leave space centrally and you pack the width. And so these are the drawbacks of the system that you're going to have. And I think it actually played a little bit to Newcastle's strengths because if you are to look at it, they are a team in the middle of the park that do struggle to have maybe a passing presence. You know, you look at that midfield, we've talked about the brutish nature of the duels and they won them, great, but they don't build centrally, they build wide and they've got Kieran Trippier to kind of whip in balls and they really do almost hope and pray to Alexander Isaac to kind of do something on the wings to float inside and combine before exploding into space. That is their goal. And I think that this kind of tactical switch that we did, though, in order to kind of combat that is we wanted to match up the press, but we left ourselves vulnerable to the wings. And I think, for me at least, it resulted in Newcastle being able to get a little bit more control of the game. Because while we covered up in our press, trying to break their pressure, Newcastle aren't a team that is comfortable building up in the way that Brighton are. So they avoid the press. So while we matched up in terms of how they built the back with four, um... They kind of avoided that by going long and winning the second ball and then passing into space on the wings. That's how they broke out. So it wasn't necessarily route one, but it was more of a Manchester City round two, by the way. And when they would go to Holland and Kevin De Bruyne would just float in that space wherever Holland was, it wasn't the fact that they were going long, but they were picking up the second ball and firing it quick into the channel. And the little coaching brain in me tells me that's because Arsenal's press is so good. You have to resort to skipping the first phase and winning the second ball and exploiting that channel because once Arsenal snap into shape, there isn't space. And I think Newcastle found that tough
1: which is why i wanted us to move into it quicker because i felt as though you know in the little moments where they were playing out i felt as though we've got such a lovely press and the way we do it is so we're not going too gung-ho we're not being too aggressive we're slowly eking up the pitch making sure that we cut off the passing channel cut off the passing channel force them along and we win the ball right fine but the problem is is they weren't allowing us that little bit of time and that's what happened and then i think also what you said about them exploiting the wide areas. I felt then Saka and Martinelli a little bit got isolated massively. And I felt I one of my big fit feelings was Ben White needs to help Saka, especially beginning of the second half. I really felt I was like, White's nowhere to be seen and it's because he's dealing with Isaac. So, you know, there is a there's a there's a there's a sort of structure there. Exactly, yeah. The the only other thing I'd say really on, on like structurally before we get to some individual performances was, was I thought they did really well to force Ramsdale along. I know he was opting to go along, which I would have done as well because they were very high uh, and work. And again, working very hard. And the thing is, is they, they managed to keep up the intensity because of the threat of St. James's part, which is why I'm worried about it. But I thought not only did, obviously Ramsdale was opting to go along, but I thought they, they pressed him especially early to go along and that, and that created a lot of situations. So credit to them. Before we move on to the individuals, is there anything else, structurally, George or, or Brad, because I think we we have to talk about the performance of a number of players. Um Yeah.
2: I think because I think the thing is, is our our structure and our and our our setup isn't the, it, it, I think I feel like this is this result is is individuals rather than kind of how we were playing or the system that we were playing. If that's what it feels like to me after watching it. It feels like like George has said and I'll repeat it players picked the game up by the scruff of the neck and decided that even if it wasn't going our way and it wasn't going to be our day to play our beautiful silky pressy lovely football we're going to f- we're just going to fucking win it anyway and that's very brexit in in my analysis of it but like some of the stuff Martin er- Erdegaard was doing by himself was just unbelievable i think i think the the
1: structure always gives you the foundation but the individuals have to go and win it and i think you know especially yeah. especially, especially today I thought the, the today it was yesterday. Uh, I've got your disease, Brad. Um, I thought Jorginho was uh, incredible. I mean the the numbers don't oh. the numbers don't lie. What is he? He was basically first for almost every metric on the pitch. He was our highest. I've got his numbers in front of oh, me. Go on, mate.
2: His passing num- his passing numbers are insane. Uh, wait, no, no. Where is it? Defensive. Yeah, two interceptions, two tackles, two clearances, uh, two key passes. Was fouled four times. Where's the Where's the metrics one? It's not on who scored, but they were there was one fucking on, mental. There was one
1: on Sky that was crazy. I'll see if I can find yeah. it. But I mean, you know, just... I, I, I'll be honest, and, and George mentioned it, I hear it was. Touches, uh, first for Arsenal, first for assists, first for successful passes, first for passes receiving back line, first for possession one, and first for clearances. And that second to last one is the crucial one for me, the possession one. Because the thing that I, I was really concerned about going into this game was the transition because I, I felt as though Newcastle, again, revealing my perhaps lack of knowledge about them, I felt we'd be sat there mostly in their half, mostly controlling the ball, mostly controlling space, and then we'd be worried about them going in behind to Wilson and Isaac, right? Not not the case <laughs> and probably suited Jorginho more because of that. Um, George, I mean, an incredible performance. There's all sorts of things that you can... You can talk about with Jorginho, obviously his, you know, the calm and the presence and the leadership, the communication, whatever. But for me, his anticipation, not only of where space is, but where the next pass is, is just so it just it's it's his brain. He just knows where that next pass is and somehow seems to execute it every time. It's it's extraordinary. It's similar in they very different profiles. Similar anticipation on an offensive front to the brain that Declan Rice has on an, on a defensive front. If you watch Rice, I was watching him against, against um, United, he can just anticipate exactly where that ball's going to drop and pick it up. It's, it's insane. And
0: Jorginho's got a similar trait just the other way around. It's a spatial awareness, right? And he's got that idea about when to up the tempo and not to. I kind of talk about gas pedal players, and you don't associate it with a Jorginho because he's not the typical pace and power merchant that you see these types do. But he is very intelligent about when to play the quick ball, but when to recycle. That decision making about when to be vertical, when not to be vertical is the intelligence I think we're talking about here when we discuss differences between Thomas Partey. And I saw a lot of crazy takes on the timeline, I will admit, um, you know, to his quality. But the one difference that you get between the two, forgetting this idea of athleticism and the clear physical trait difference is the kind of decision about when to go early and when to recycle the ball. That is the difference that you get, I think, with the Jorginho. And when you look at kind of what makes them special in that sense, that's also why it's very rare that you get exploited for his athleticism because he knows when to pinch and when not to pinch. He's got that kind of intelligence to know um, when a breakdown can happen and when he's second best to it. And I think it gets frustrating because he doesn't compete when he's second best. But he does compete when he knows he's going to win the ball. And then when he does, he releases it early without trying to dribble or be fancy with it, he knows his limitations. And I think there's one kind of probing pass that he kept doing where he kept trying to go early into the channel of zone 14, not quite at the top of the D, but there was that chipped ball between the center back and the fullback that he was forcing when he was in the right half space. And I think what it did is it kind of got him in a position where he didn't have to follow the ball and he could stick in the safety net of the defensive third and kind of just pinch. And so he wasn't necessarily the one that was following the pass with Martin Odegaard he was letting those players do the work and I think that was just a very intelligent um, experienced player knowing his limitations really if I'll be really honest with you he knows what he is and he perfects himself at it and I think um, with with him he deserves immense praise um, for that. But I do think that um, there was a certain person behind him, and I don't know if that's enough of a transition with Kiwi or that really allowed him to do that kind of work. Because Kiwior still struggled to pass centrally. If you look at his pass map, he was still somebody that was angled to the left preferentially. But his composure, and I'm talking about Kiwior right now, in terms of receiving under pressure, because there were times that Jorginho laid back to his keeper, to his you know, right center back, and the ball wasn't coming right back at him. That was the key. Not to hit Rob Holding, but that is the difference when you're building up. Forget the high line. That is the key that allows somebody like Jorginho to thrive because he isn't getting the ball back where it's passed from.
1: Yep. The key word for me with Kivio is early. I wrote down a number of different places where t- I think it's 22 minutes, 31 minutes, 43 minutes, just moments where he ju- he, he's either jumping in or he, or he doesn't delay his action or he's just getting it forward quickly. And that's the thing. It's, it just stops any kind of... You just, You stop inviting pressure. You allow your place... To cut to, off a of passing lane. You cut off a passing lane. You stay in rhythm. Like, it just... It, that difference between two or three touches from wrong profile and just one touch, boom, straightforward. Or, you know, seven or eight touches sometimes. Um, Brad, your thoughts on Kivio? Because as George said, he does struggle a little bit passing out from the back in terms of over to the right-hand side. Did he pass to Ben White? <laughs> I'm not not sure again. Or well, he might have done
2: once. Again, yeah, it's. I think it's It's difficult, isn't it? Because that's obviously not the position and zones that we would want to have him in. And so with that, I think we have to ex- kind of accept the fact that we're not going to get 100% of his abilities because, you know, it's square peg, round hole. It's just that this peg is a lot more better suited than the other peg that we've got left at home who is right-footed. Um, and what we may lose in getting the ball out to, wa- to wipe from Kivior, I think with... In normal games and circumstances, with Ramsdale's clip balls to fullbacks and to wingers, I think we're fine. I think if your, um, it's such a shame that we have we haven't been able to give him more of a boost into this with the kind of West Ham games and such. But for him to come in at this crunch point of the season and against a very dogged, aggressive Newcastle team, putting the level of performance he did, it it shows again that the recruitment team. Are, you know, really doing their due diligence due diligence. Fuck me, that was hard to say. <laughs> God almighty. Um, and to pick a player like him up for like, what was it, like 18 million euros? Is unbelievable. And he looks like he has a lot of qualities that we would love to have in that left centre-back slot or in that, in that left back kind of slot maybe with a different zone, like kind of profile, if we're looking to have something a bit more like Nathan Ake or trying to maybe be a bit more defensively solid. But I I think that he deserves a lot of credit and praise for coming into a very high pressure situation and dealing with that seemingly quite unaffectedly. I didn't feel like at any point during his performance, I was going, all
0: the nerves are getting to him here. He's really feeling the pressure. Do, do you know what it is? It's it's his receiving of the ball. Um he he gives himself an extra second because of how technically astute he is receiving. He has probably the most fluid hips of all of our center backs, by the way. I include William Saliba in there. He his languid style allows him to really turn either side. That's why there's no angle bias, right? So Do you like his hips, uh, do you like his hips? His hips, hips don't lie, Brad. And I mean, I think, you know, when you when you have a look at it, it's not just that, but you know, he is very early in terms of his first time ball into midfield. So when we talk of Jorginho, he's not getting the ball with three people attacking him. He's getting the ball with one or two. And so he gets an extra time on the ball when he is passing to Gabriel. I don't know if you guys took notice of this, but you know he cares about what foot the passer receives it to. He gives a little bit of vavavoom that we call it. Um, you know when he makes a little bit of kind of a technique to really make the ball kind of outswing to the weak foot when he wants him to play it wide. When he wanted Gabriel to kind of um, you know almost recycle the ball, he passed it to his right foot, and he sent messages with how he passed. And I just felt. It was an incredibly mature performance. You don't get that from somebody that's young, newly into a team. And it gets me excited. When Mikel talks about, um, by the way, he's going to change our style of play, I really think that we've got a ball distribution magnet here um, of a player. You know, I, I really am uh, very excited by, by those small things that he does and the care he takes in the ball because he makes sure that his kind of passer has the option open. And he doesn't almost just get rid of it for the sake of doing so. He baits the press. He was baiting people to come in, and then he would slot a simple ball inside to Shaka Odegaard, Jorginho. And it was just that simple nature about knowing when to release that allowed us to kind of get up the pitch, give Jorginho time. Um, And yes, I think he struggled opening to his right. And I think that's why Ben, by the way, struggled himself offensively, because he wasn't getting the ball um you know in positions that he needs to to kind of get up the pitch and then when he did get it he was already halfway up the pitch and he's like well i can't bomb on now because isaac's behind me and that's my assignment so um it is it is uh difficult but i do want to end i think kiwi deserves a lot more praise than he's getting and yes um that's the mm-hmm. difference between him and rob um in terms of the impact on the style of play it's not just you individual mistakes. A football quicker don't say that george it's not it's not true <laughs> and remember if you have that opinion
1: it's wrong.
2: It's you wrong. You can't.
1: You can't just have two different opinions and hold them together. One has to be right. One has to be wrong. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I have to say, I thought Kivir was great. But surely, lo- Alex.
2: That. That's. That is. That is no longer an opinion. Surely, we're talking about facts.
1: Oh, we are talking about facts. Sorry, Rob <laughs> Holding is the savior of Arsenal Football Club. I always forget about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep forgetting about that. Um, he saved
2: his hairline and has saved our title race. You need to give. You need to get a new joke about Rob Holding, please. <laughs> it's like this. What? Well, I still mean. In a row. I feel mean talking about his fucking footballing ability so I have to go after his hairline
1: um, yeah I, th- I think Kivior has potential to to play a number of positions for us and and I really like him I think the Nathan Ake um, shout is nice but I'd say Kivior is more technical and better on the ball than, than Ake I think he's, he's, he's top um, yeah the uh, a couple of moments that I want to talk about that tackle from Granite Xhaka ho oh, ho unreal what a stop um yeah credit to him because he absolutely pegs it back I also want to talk about all the fouls that Jorginho won slowing the game down another thing we didn't talk about Jorginho he is the master of winning sort of cheap free kicks um Brad we've had a request for a rant from you so I'm gonna say yeah. Bruno Guimaraes clipping the back of Saka's legs go no yellow card
2: um I mean I, it's it's, there's not how many how many referee rants are we going to have I can't do it again I'm just I'm tired Robbie I'm tired <laughs> <laughs> again change the structure change the system and you'll get better refs yeah that, that's all it is money needs to be invested
1: yeah um, we spoke about Newcastle chances and they had a lot they hit the bar t- mm-hmm. post twice bar and the post yeah um, but we also had some huge chances. Uh, oh, yeah. Two from Saka. Well, one from Saka one from Martinelli. Um, and then uh, we'll come on to him now. Odegaard uh, at the end of the first half was a absolute sitter because he does everything right. But Martin Odegaard, we'll finish on him. 15 non-penalty goals. Um, my player of the match, as much as Jorginho, was great. Um, and, and lots of players including Xhaka requires credit but I just thought Xhaka did, did what he always does I think he I thought Martin went above and beyond um and I thought yeah I thought Odegaard was was extraordinary I mean he showed I think he's third in the away goals or something in the entire league for individuals or something or like all like goals and assists away from home uh, behind Haaland and someone else maybe Wilson or something um he is just in incredible form he's an incredible football player 24 Brad like We've got, we've got our Mate, man on our hands. And what's so mad is there are human beings, you might even be listening to this podcast right now, who have got their phones out and sat on the toilet, like fucking sat in their shit little lives and gone, oh, I don't think Martin Odegaard's good enough for Arsenal. Fuck off. You
2: don't know what you're talking about. You don't. Um, he, he has one goal less and three assists more. Than generational best attacker in the world, Marcus Rashford, this season in the Premier League. Oh my god, I don't know that. One goal less, three assists more. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's put that in perspective. Like, yeah. And and he's a, he's 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 a, he's not even like an attacking midfielder, really. If you, if you look at the the zones that he picks up the ball in, mainly, and the things that you're asking him to do, yeah. I mean, he's he's been a phenomenal scoring form this season, but. His goal scoring isn't the thing that you really champion, Martin Erdegaard. For well, it's his ability maybe, to dictate games to play, of
0: like ball striking, right? Because I would argue, if you yeah, really looked at his yeah. uh, production this season, a lot of people would say he hasn't been composed. I mean, you just look at that game; he missed the easiest of the chances. But oh my god! What was the what was that? Where he missed just an absolute sitter. I, I would Villa. say. Villa. Do you remember that that one he missed against Villa? Oh my God. He he has missed some really big chances at the top of the box, you know, in terms of, and that's what I think is scary. His intelligence of his third man running is really the benefit, I think, that we're seeing this season. And also he's more willing to release early. You know, uh, this is something that I've had a big criticism of him before, and I'm just really happy that he's doing it because I think him shooting when he did, by the way, Difficult, but I'm cheering that. I'm like, well done. You're forcing the issue. This is what I mean about you kind of taking onus because you don't know what happens, and you have a very good technique. So trust it more. Release it. And and I think that he um, is doing that a lot more. I don't have the numbers to back it up, but I would argue that he probably has twice as many shots attempted um, this season as he's done last season. And so it's not just the positioning where he's getting into. I think it's a little bit more him taking. More physical aggression when he's in those spaces saying, look, I can score as well. Um, He was too concerned, I think, of his teammates um, around him last season. He wasn't releasing quick enough. He almost um, had to have the perfect action. And if it wasn't perfect, he wouldn't release it. And whereas now there's a little bit more of, well, have it then. And I'm happy about that.
1: Yeah, I feel like we've lost the, you've got to shoot there, kind of moments with Erdegaard. And, and and you know, it goes to show exactly what you're saying. Just a
2: couple more bits. He just put some wide instead.
1: <laughs> just a couple <laughs> more bits. While we're on shoot volume, um, Jesus, man. I've still
2: not got that Thomas Partey shot out of my head from fucking whatever game it was. Yeah, I still see that in my nightmare. that's still
1: gone. <laughs> Uh, Jesus shoot volume because the, the thing is we're not talking about Jesus because we, we want to know we're moving on to the next game right but watch this game back there's so many moments where I just want him to have a go have a pop and it's you know it's all part of my agenda so I will keep shouting it from the rooftops uh, two more things I just want to say Gabriel defending wide areas I, I've never seen anything like it from a centre back he is unparalleled in those wide areas I've i, I I genuinely can't remember the last time he got he got taken if, when he gets dragged into the wide areas. I cannot remember the last time he got he got taken round. It's it's an unbelievable skill. We're so lucky to have him. Incredible. Um, I'd also find- like
0: to um, add on the Gabrielle point because um, I think that his in possession build up was phenomenal in this match. When you have a look at Zinchenko, who struggled a little bit, I thought it was Gabriel that was breaking us out of the press between the lines a lot more than it was Zinchenko. And you don't associate that with him. You know, a lot of people tell me that he's really poor under the press. I actually thought he was probably our most composed and vertical defender in this match as well. Gabriel, as I hit
1: my mic, Gabriel is the litmus test for this season, whether you actually watched Arsenal or watched the big games. Because he is... is, he, He has been... If he's not on your team of the season, you... Remember, there's no such thing as opinion. There's right and wrong. You don't know ball. Um, No, but who else replaces him? Well, I think basically people think Arsenal done well. Who's their most sort of starry centre
2: back? It's William Saliba, isn't it? It's because Arsenal have done well this season and Saliba is the new addition. Yeah, I think that's all it is. Yeah, that's It's it's a mentality thing. They've gone, what's changed in Arsenal's back line? Um, Oh, they've added William Saliba and they've gotten better this season. It must be that. It's it's a lack of critical thinking from people, like you say, who haven't watched all of the games. There is not one single player that has played left centre-back this season that should be above him for... Um for team of the season.
0: No. One. I, I do really think that there's a problem in football with technical aesthetic bias. I've said this before sometimes and uh George, they just think he's handsome. They think <laughs> players are handsome and so they keep them. Or no, they think
2: they the players look cool Handsome tax is cold. Yeah, handsome tax is a cold. Thing. Yeah, yeah. cold. Is a thing. They're so cold like oh the butcher looks so cold today <laughs> being stretchered <laughs> off the pitch. <bench. laughs> <laughs> like there is can't kick a football though can he can't 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 hit her a ball no because he's five foot fucking four doing his he's, best he's
1: fucking very, bilbo baggins he's impression very good there
0: there there is a bit of that um but i also was kind of a little bit more leaning into he has a very unorthodox gait uh um, when you have a look at him and so when you're looking at i guess other center back options you know that are maybe different <laughs> like Laporte and etc they have a lot more fluidity in their actions, and I think that Gabrielle is an unorthodox type of player. And so you
2: he- can stick your fucking fluidity up your arse. <laughs> Brexit
0: time. I boys. love.
1: I love that moment where George went. There is a bit of that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like Brad's like a little like naughty kid. (laughs) Uh,
0: But I do think it's a problem because, you know, when you have a look at like, let's say Kieran Tierney, who we didn't talk about because the switch was just brilliant. But I thought he played excellent in his cameo, by the way. Um, When you have a look at it, he gets claims that he doesn't have the composure under the press. And, you know, if you look at our goal. He's the one that starts the goal early, excellent defending pressure, and then fires it really early into midfield to release Martinelli wide. He starts, and he's the reason for that second goal. So um, uh, again, the reason why Zinchenko is preferred, to, according to many logic on Twitter, is because he offers us control, but also um, a different type of generating football, I would say. People tell me this all the time. He generates more football uh, than Karen Tierney. Um, and uh, I'm very confused at that statement because I think that you know again to put because it, it makes no fucking sense. Well, yeah, you it can doesn't.
1: Stick it... your generating football <laughs> up your ass. You can stick your generating football up your ass. <laughs> you can stick your generating football. Stick your generating football. Stick your generating football up your ass.
0: Up your ass. You you can can stick stick your your and so but- Gabrielle is excellent. He uh, has a very good, um, you know, unorthodox gait, but he was excellent in this match. That is essentially what I'm trying to say.
2: <laughs>
1: Sorry, Dad. Brad, we'll see you after this. News and Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all of your views, but mostly ours. ours. Thank you to those of you who are in the different Knock Members Club. Join at patreon.com forward slash shift knock and... Get access to the exclusive Discord server. We've now got a Discord server. If you want to join the Discord server, uh, the details on the Patreon or there. If you're a YouTube member, they're on the YouTube uh, site. <laughs> they're on the YouTube members area. I don't know what's called. They're on the YouTube. They're on the YouTube.com. a Fifty five year old much. man, <laughs> Just granddad. Uh, add free versions of all of our content, including many what podcasts, the reward but video, complimentary rewards. I've by me confidently confidently. You can.
2: Buy me a coffee.
1: The links are in the show description. We've had lots and lots and lots of questions. Wow. Lots of questions. Dan underscore TN on the Discord says Since Kivior came in, we've looked like we did since before Saliba was injured. Wondering why Arteta didn't use Kivior earlier. Go on, George. That smile.
0: You and me both, good sir. You and me
1: both. Smile, though your heart is aching.
0: <laughs> Listen, <Smile>. I, um, <laughs> I don't... Here, I'm here to try to not be uh, facetious, but um, I really think that... Not on this podcast, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I think uh, Mikel is a new coach. The only thing I can say is um, he's got a little bit of the arson banger about him in terms of he believes that a plan should stick itself out, and that in order to take somebody out of the team, they have to almost hang themselves, in a sense. And I don't agree with it. I think he does it late. But I think that's the mentality that he has, where it kind of gets to the point where it's just so unbreakable that the entire squad would be almost begging for it, in a sense. We've seen it, not just this season, by the way, with Kiwi Or, but we saw it last season, in my opinion, without having Eddie and Kedia come in earlier for Lacazette. Like, he, he has done this before. He's been slow to react. Do I think it's a long-term concern? Well, no, I think with more resources and a squad that's a little bit better, he is somebody that um, definitely uses different plans. It's just, I think it is a little bit of an experience thing in terms of understanding when to make that substitution and trusting your players um, a little bit more because he doesn't trust the squad enough. That is a concern of mine. It is something that I think is frustrating because even though that we don't necessarily have the 13 to 18 squad that we've talked about here on the pod, I do think this season, our depth has been markedly different and he hasn't used it as such. When you look at it, Tressard, Kiwi, or Emil Smith-Rowe, Fabio Vieira, like that's a lot better than what we had on the bench. Nelson, um, last season, Eddie is now a bench option, right? Like that's a decent bench. It has made a step up, but the appearances of those depth options haven't stepped up. So it's frustrating. I'm with you. Um, bear with it for a little bit, but I uh, can't say why Mikel does all the things that he does.
2: I have an idea. God.
0: <laughs>
2: um, I mean, we we beat Palace and Leeds 4-1 before drawing to Liverpool 2-2. And I think men- mentally, if you're looking at that and going, okay, well, we've beaten, a, what was it, the team in 12th and then then a relegation for the team and we've, you know, okay we dropped points to Liverpool and then you're coming up against West Ham and Southampton pre I think, I think the mistake is not bringing him in at Southampton, not, not at West Ham because at West Ham at at two, was it two one up where we missed the penalty to go three, one up. It's a, ve- it's a very different game and the game turns on ahead because the momentum shifts with the missed penalty. And there's a lot of issues with structurally the way that we were playing during that West Ham game that were giving them advantageous opportunities and, and such and so forth. But we Rob Holding was a problem. The team that was put out should have beaten Southampton um, and should have beaten West Ham and we didn't. But we did beat two teams quite comfortably and then pick up a point at Anfield. And if you're looking at that and you're going, okay, well, okay, we had these problems at Anfield, but it's Anfield and it's Liverpool, a team full of, you know, quality, quality players who are making a late surge for the Champions League. Logically, I think he might've looked at that and gone, surely then it will just be a return to the norm because we're not facing that level of quality anymore. And that's why he stuck with it at West Ham. I think the the mistake isn't sticking with it at West Ham. It's 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 not changing after West Ham. Because I think West Ham was the clearest indication that there was real, real structural issues in having him on the pitch. Um but you know, he'll like George says, he'll learn. I do hear
1: you, and I hear the arguments, and I've seen a few, you know, on 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 the web, on the net. About this. I understand the idea that, like, oh, you know, we only drew at Anfield, and you know, Rob Holding wasn't necessarily the issue. I think that's very surface level analysis. I think when you when you and I'm not saying that's what you're saying, I think a lot of people are saying that 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 lots of these arguments are basically based on the idea that Rob Holding didn't miss that penalty, Rob Holding didn't make that mistake against Southampton. Mm. And it's like that's that's very surface level analysis. In my opinion, because it's about going
2: those 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 moments are the byproduct of having Rob holding in the team. Yeah,
1: and the fact that you can't get back yeah. into the game is because you've got you've got a structural issue. And and I think yeah. it's just blind. It's just going well. Football is only it's only those two moments, and there's no context around it. It's like well, okay, then let's just not let's just let's just go on the pitch, take some penalties, and leave. Then shall we? Nothing else happens. Like it's it's bizarre. So, but I but I also do hear and understand the argument of if you're Mikel, you have a 27 year old guy who you know ultimately is a very good squad member. Is you know is not the worst footballer in the world by any stretch. He causes his issues, has a massive knock on effect, and all the sorts of things. And and he you know he's just the wrong profile. But he's not the worst. He's not Mustafi. So who is the worst footballer in the world? So I so I hear that thing and you we and realistically And you've just
2: beaten two teams 4-1 and got a point at Liverpool. Yeah, and and, you, and as you You're said, looking at that from a place of strength and then you go into West Ham and that's where the real issues come out. And
1: as you say we should have enough to beat Southampton and West Ham. So, So, you know even with him on the pitch. So, you know yeah, I I think it's just one of those things where as George was sort of saying he'll learn but I also I also just think you know next year we probably won't be in this situation. We'll have another position on the pitch where we're worried about that. We just have to plug plug the gaps. And every single season, unfortunately, gaps will show. And you just have to plug them. You know, every single season for basically every single club apart from, you know, Man City, you get to the crunch time and you go, oh my God, we probably need one of those. And that's what you do in the summer. No team is ever complete. So, you know, it, the only thing we can do is learn and move on and go, well, that's that's what we need to fix. The problem with actually what, what George was saying is bang on problem with Wenger is he saw year after year, I think, what everyone was seeing and didn't change anything. That's not what this setup does. So, I, you know, I, I don't worry about it long term. It's just frustrating and annoying. Um, let's do a few more questions. We've had a question from at Current BOP, and he says, ask George why he refuses to do shoulder presses.
0: Why don't you do shoulder presses, George?
1: Why don't you do shoulder presses, George?
0: One word response. Tartarus. If anybody knows what that is, uh, listening, um, that is what that man deserves—a prison sentence to Tartarus. That is what he deserves. Tartarus. <laughs> what The fuck is Tartarus? Google the <laughs> infernal
1: regions of ancient Greek mythology, <laughs> <laughs> where the it gods the locked up Greek their enemies. <laughs> <of hell>. Yes,
0: <laughs> that is where that man deserves to go and uh, be uh, chained. To. But
1: why don't you do shoulder presses? Yeah, you didn't ask so. the question.
0: I do them all the time. This is a running joke that I've got small shoulders, apparently. So um
2: Is it just because you're five foot
0: one? Yes. Um it is it is a height, it is it is I've got a little bit of the Lysandra Martinez uh, yeah. deficiency in my, the billboard baggins problem. Right to be
1: fair, we've never seen below your waist, George, so we'd never know. <laughs> well no, I have. I saw your cock, but you know, apart from that. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's, oh, that one that's a, not be yeah, happy.
1: There's say, a cock joke yeah. in there. That's, a, that's another review. That one listener. That's another review down the drain. You've
2: just and done it again,
1: mate. <laughs> like. Do we really want to hear dick jokes? You're on the wrong podcast, mate. Honestly.
2: <laughs> I called Lisandro Martinez my Baggins about 15 minutes ago. What has ever given you the impression that anything is going to change?
1: Uh, um, this is probably for... George, presumably, because I, I I haven't watched him. Thoughts on Zuba Mendy? Question from at CTLLZ1. Unless you've watched him, George. Uh, Bradley? Uh, he's a footballer. Oh, right. There great. are my thoughts, George. <laughs>
0: um, he's probably the closest profile that you're going to get to a Jorginho type of midfielder on the market. He is phenomenal with the ball at his feet, knows exactly when to uh, release the ball, um, has that game intelligence that we highlight with Jorginho with a brilliant passing range, but he is quite stocky. And I don't think that he's got um, excellent You can call him fat, move. George. Sorry? You can call him fat. It's all right. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah. He's, a, he's a little bit tubby. He's, he's got a high BMI. But, um, you know, I think ultimately he is somebody that struggles in the press. And I don't think that is a kind of recruitment level that we've been going with. He's in stark contrast to your Caicedos, your Rices, your uh, snappy players in the first five yards off the ball. Um, he is somebody that is going to give you a lot on the ball, but off the ball, you're going to have to make spaces small for him, and I don't think that sacrifice is something that we should be looking at.
2: Brad? He's a footballer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Top. Top. <laughs> sometimes I think about, like, what on Spotify, you have a channel, like a podcast trailer, and sometimes like, <laughs> what I want to pick out is, like, just moments like that where George is, like, beautiful, knows a footballer, Brad just goes, yeah, yeah. mate, soccer. <laughs>
2: Kicks the ball, in it? Kicks ball. The ball, it. It? <laughs> kicks ball. I think he's Spanish. By the sound, by the sound of his name, says yeah, Spanish. Yeah. Um, Probably likes paella. You
1: yeah, know, oh that kind God. of shit. <laughs> Stop getting us cancelled. Uh, we, before we do some more questions, I thought this was interesting. Um, Ramsdale, in his interview with Sky Sports, said, uh, on how much last season's defeat was mentioned internally. It wasn't mentioned up until the meeting before we left the hotel. The manager showed us a clip of the documentary last year, showed us all our faces, staff included, showing how hurt we were feeling, all of our reactions. We had that burning desire as soon as we left the hotel that it wasn't going to be the same today. Now, Brad, we've talked about about this before, about, you know, the target audience isn't us that sounds pretty brent right you know it sounds a little bit on the nose let's say
2: yeah but it's a fucking some some shit in life just yeah. is like it's it sounds so it's so weird like and it but like sometimes you do just need that listen it's a completely different style of work and whatever but um and it's so stupid it's so stupid um i we did 9 shows this this week just gone instead of 8 and that's a big like it sounds like a small incremental increase it's a lot but like it it really knackers you out And like we had cover rehearsal, we had basically a fucking full-on week and um we all just started taking the piss out of it and the fact that we were having to do it by doing football chants and by saying like uh, uh, stuff i won't repeat because i don't want to get in trouble but like that, those, those things are the things that got us through. And that's because that was what we needed for our personality types. Then if you look at it through the lens of Granite Xhaka and the kind of personality that he is and understanding what he needs to get him motivated, of course, that's going to work. Like, of course, that's going to work. Yeah. Sometimes we, it's like the, the Anfield, like footballers are, are, are a different species. They've been doing this singular job from when they were children. The likelihood is, is as much as they've gone through mainstream education in some format, they haven't been through the same level of time in mainstream education as you and as I. They are different profiles. And that's often of, They're like 16 year olds in 30 year olds bodies sometimes. Because they haven't had certain things in their life go through to mature them in certain ways. So they respond to certain things. And that's not a negative thing. I don't mean any of that negatively. But it's very smart from Arteta, from a management point of view, to pick up on what this group of players needs and to feed into that. Because you have to feed into that. As much as we may laugh at it and call it, you know, bullshit. It obviously, yeah. Works. I, I guess we kind of. I so well.
1: I can speak for myself. I view it through my lens, which is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you, but yeah, you're right because they they are just they're a kind of different breed. Which leads me to a, my own question: If you could show, okay, here's the scenario: Man City have dropped some points. If we win the game against Man City, on. Uh, we win the game against Wolves, we win the title. If we drop points, they win the title. You get to show the team, one video, George.
0: I think that, um, anything by David Goggins, a very inspirational man. Yeah. just a uh, top quality to show them in terms of a video, because that man is, uh, he makes me want yeah. to get up and run 10 miles, even though I can't. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, I would say anything by Some David, David Goggins. Goggins.
2: Have you ever watched any of his stuff, no. Alex? It's fucking balmy. It's honestly, it's very, it's very American. I'm going to rule the world. Is, he, I'm a, uh, is like, he similar to Tony Robbins? I don't know. I don't know. But the guy, the guy lost like 150 pounds in six months or something crazy. And like, like he, he much, he'll man. just like get up and just, <laughs> he'll just get up and like run a marathon, just like through sheer strength of will on a day, no training, no nothing. Like he's, he's mad, but it's real. it's, it's a real fascinating look into the psyche of how some people's brains work. Um, my video would just be a compilation of all the shit that uh, every single pundit yeah. has spoken about this team over Good the last shout. 12 months saying that they're they're not where they should be that they're lucky to be there that they're going to finish third behind united and city all of that i would create a compilation of all of the negative things and all of the bullshit and just end it by saying one win and this is all wrong in everyone's eyes in everyone's eyes it's irrefutable Traders one win.
1: Out. Mine would be Williams, Bergovic. me <laughs> <Did you bet? laughs>
2: No, mine would be he's just got off the play from Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> Should be ashamed of yourself because
1: that one of Lee Gunner where he's like this.
2: <laughs> oh, do you see the video of Lee Gunner when Odegaard scored and he didn't know how to, whether to be like happy or really, really annoyed? I do not it. It was so... It's Oh my God, it's it so research? funny. Odegaard scores. He's like, yeah, uh-huh. it's from, I'm pretty sure it's from Newcastle or it might be from Chelsea. He's like, oh yes, Erdegaard has scored. The, the, Top Gunners will be very oh, call him like Gibraltar like,
1: Oh, I think, I think Lee, <laughs> yeah. I think Lee Gunner. Did you, did you mean when you say, oh, I meant, yeah, okay, Lee Gunner, yeah. I meant Lee AFTB, From AFTV. Yeah. yeah, I'm wrong, Lee. You're
0: talking about the Harry Kane one when he's backing
1: into people. Yes. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> one, that's why I was confused. He's done it again. Done it again. <laughs> you little quack. Uh let's do a few more questions. Uh jo- well, he's put I think he he's I think he's tried for George Graham, but that says Giroge Graham.
0: <laughs> Giroge. <laughs> Giroge
1: Graham, dude. Does Arsenal actually need another striker this summer?
0: Yes. In general. Um well, actually, no, no. Well, either. for me, I've always said I, they need another marquee attacker, another and forward.
1: we've had a question from Jake, Jaketia, which tells you perhaps his a bias on this. What does the striker department look like next season, next season? Stick with Eddie or go get Tony, for example?
0: Look, I, I think that the team needs another marquee forward. Does that have to be a striker? No, I'm open to, to wingers being another marquee. Um, subjectively, I think a lot depends on where you see Martinelli best at and where you see that boy's future, because I think you want to complement him in tandem with that type of profile, because right now he's showing signs of both routes. Um, if you're going to keep him on the wings, then you'd obviously like to prefer a striker. But, you know, uh, for people that see him as a kind of Suarez like nine, you're looking at recruiting a, a winger that kind of facilitates that. Um Whatever route you choose, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to it. But I do think that this front line is missing a little bit of composure and certainly another 10 to 15 goals of threat. Uh, Because even as I'm looking at it this season, um, I still think, let's say we introduce the Champions League next year. Are you confident in this team being able to keep up production but also improve it? Because that's what we need. I still think that there's been times this season that we felt like we've lacked enough goals. But I think that with European competition you even impact that further. So a marquee forward, yes. Does it have to be a striker? Not necessarily. If you're asking for George, what striker do you want? Stop sitting on the fence. Um, I love a channel runner, a big physical channel runner. Um, I've been saying this before. Everybody got, yeah, well, uh, you said it, not me. Um, You know, I've been saying before City got Holland, before Nunez went to Liverpool, I thought that the age of the nine was coming back. That is my type of striker. Um, The channel runner physical nine that is, um, you know, uh, able to use his movement to destroy, um, you know, defenses. But at the same time, offer himself as an option um, as a battering ram. You know, I love those type of diversity. I really feel as though when you look at people like Dusan Vlahovic, for example, he's a very different type of striker. Um, where I do believe he's a little bit more one-dimensional. He does rely on his physical traits more than his ability off the ball. He's really between the six-yard box in terms of how he likes to link play. He'll come in, drop. Um, and lay off, whereas I want my uh, person to do that, but also drift wide and be able to interchange with our wingers and be able to run. Um, So yes, that describes Osman, but it could really be any striker that is able to both be wide, but inside. That is my favourite type of striker. The very traditional Thierry Henry, and surprisingly, Anelka, these types of players.
2: I think the thing is, though, if you look at the market, uh, the centre-forward market this summer is is not something I think Arsenal delve into purely because... It's it, It's not feasible with the problems we have to fix. You know, the one place that we are really aged in the squad is the midfield. That's where we need serious revamping to the point of, I think, Rice and Caicedo, you get those two players in even at sacrificing a marquee forward. Because I think if you look at the contract situations of most of the forwards that we would be after or the situations that they've just moved clubs or some of the players that we're talking about are are big, big gambles and big, big risks. Hoyland, there's no guarantee and getting him out of Atalanta is going to cost you 40, 50 million euros for a player who, who might not evolve into what we expect. The same with Sesko, who I really like from Leipzig. The same with Evan Ferguson from Brighton. There's a lot of opportunities for a lot of players, but none of them financially make sense right now because Osserman going to cost you 150 million euros to get him out of Napoli. They've just won the Scudetto. Um, and there's no one else really that I, I just, I don't look at that market and I go, there's a good option there. Whereas Gabby Jesus was a great option in the market. There's be- there's more to do, there's more wingers available. Um, but I just, I think I can I can see another summer where we don't pick up a marquee forward and we go heavy into the midfield and pick up somebody like a Solly March to cover Saka and we keep Enketia and we go with, with the six that we have with Gabby, Eddie, uh, Martinelli, Trossard, maybe another right winger in March or someone and and Saka, because I I just, I don't see the move. And, and you, there are lots and lots of other teams who are looking for forwards this summer. So the price is going to be seriously inflated. There's, there's quite a few. There's no transfer window in March,
1: but yeah, I I know what you mean. Um, the, (laughs) too easy. Um, no, I, I, I hear you. I think the only thing I'd add, because I, I, I think the profile is pretty, is pretty obvious, and I've said it a number of times. What I want, um, there's an inevitability to Haaland and to Kane. There's an inevitability growing to an Isaac. There's an inevitability growing to a. Oh, I imagine if we got Isaac last to January, Nunez or something, and, he, and, oh. um, and I just. I love Jesus, and I don't want him out of the team. This is not that at all. You know, I, I, I want Jesus to play lots and lots of minutes for Arsenal. I want him to be here for a long time. I think he's an amazing football player. But there is an inevitability to the finishing of those kind of guys. And I don't think we're going to ever win, to be honest, the Premier League, Champions League, consistently without someone. It, it's, it, it's very hard, unless you are peak Man City. You know, they're probably the biggest exception. But other than that, you, there's always been... A proper goal scorer, someone who gets you, you know, who is who is at the top of the scoring charts, even if that fluctuates. So you know, I I just I just think that idea. You know, it's nice to have goals from around the around midfield and around, and that's all great and stuff. But having an inevitable someone who pulls you out of those games, I look back at those. You know, I look back at that Brentford game, I look back at that Everton game, I look back at that Southampton
0: game. Just having an inevitable striker who just gets you over the line even if you're not playing well, that's that's. Do, do you know what the difference is, mate? Newcastle, you can't survive in the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of the Champions League playing that way, right? And that's and that's beyond just the, you know, we had Kiviora. People are just going to listen and say, well, George, we didn't have our starting lineup. Well, it's not that because throughout this season, there's been moments, even with the starting 11, that we haven't been clinical enough in terms of the efficiency of our final action. And I think that's the key. It's maybe not... A goal total. People start to conflate this idea when it's like goal totals. Well, no, it's about more efficiency of action, by the way. It's just increasing your threat. For for example, I don't think we've got a huge set piece threat right now. Fabio Vieira is that player. He will become that player, but that is something that we maybe need to increase a little bit more. Um, We're great off corners, but set piece wise, we're not great. Sometimes in the final third, we have a tendency to overplay. There are many times when we're not vertical enough in the final third, and we've relied on our third man running to kind of supplement that. These are things that I think we want. And there's going to be times, by the way, not just to back up your point, Alex, but I think the idea of Jesus dropping into midfield is going to become less and less when we improve the quality. If we put a certain Basmati in there, we're not going to need our striker to drop in, in between and give himself as an option because we've got world class midfielders that can get us out. So, therefore, ergo, if you're going to be at the top, you've got to score. Like your job about being so influential on the rest of the team is going to be mitigated when the rest of the team is good. Like, and I think this is a very tough prospect for people to get accustomed to because that doesn't mean Jesus can't evolve into the final form, by the way. I do think that there's movement in Jesus. I've said it from the very beginning. I don't think number nine has to be his final position. I think his qualities lean towards, if I'm really being honest, as a winger, I think he could be very devastating in terms of his work rate, his ability in close tight spaces, his his maverick type of dribbling nature, by the way, where even at the end of the dribble, if it doesn't come off, you want that in a winger. It gets you up the pitch. Whereas at striker, if you do that, you kind of almost lose the chance. So look, um, I think when you have a look at it, the the critique is not goals. It's not Jesus not being good enough. It is efficiency of final action in the team. I'd like that addressed. You can do it a multitude of different ways, and we can theorise yeah. in the summer. But that is, I think, the problem.
1: Yeah, and that and that, as you say, that can either be recruitment or or something else. Um, let's
2: just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia.
1: Your theme was Sir Robert Holding. Oh God. While George's pipe had burst we were asking <laughs> questions about Sir Robert Holding and I asked you to name and you do know them five managers that Robert Holding has played under.
2: Well, okay, so immediately okay. Wenger, Unai, Miguel, Arteta. <laughs> did he play under Lundberg? He did. Yeah, so Lundberg. It's Who did he play for at the It's time? basically yeah. Essentially is the, is the question. It's, it's the fucking Bolton manager. Is it big Sam it's Allardyce like that? It's not like the that?
1: Bolton manager.
2: It's not. Is it not and is it another it's Arsenal another manager?
1: manager. Perk? Think out think outside the box. Oh, he's played for England. Yeah, he, he has. He's played for the U21s. And who was his coach? Um
2: was it Steve was Steve Cooper? Is it Steve Cooper? Nope. Who's the forest manager? Was Remember, he the underscore? Oh, Gareth Gareth Southgate. Bang on.
0: Wow. Because
2: yeah. Gareth Southgate took over. Southgate
1: course. managed Bobby Holding back in the day. There you go. Didn't no take wonder he's him him so shit. Eh? He didn't. Problems. Incredible, really. Incredible. Seems. Incredible. Can't believe it. Um George, I will be coming to you in just a moment. So have a little, little think. Have a little think. Uh, think. Uh, the theme for this week... Love Bradley last week was kit sponsors and I would like you to tell me the kit manufacturers for Arsenal during these periods 2006 2006 to 2014 2014 to
0: 2019 and 2019 to present Well it's, uh, Puma Adidas the the first one is um... That's that's for next week George that's for next week it's, all oh, from it's just speaking out loud <laughs> uh, just brainstorming guys. just, just thinking add a theme please my friend theme um, why don't we do um, a theme centered on like rocking away day atmospheres so that
1: away days
0: like, yeah away days get We'd it in the mixer see. type of
2: uh, the three of us need to go on a big fat fucking away we do Next I need season. to cross the pond and George we need to do a you big...
1: need to come to England and we'll <laughs> sink some pints (laughs) oh god I love it when Americans or Canadians are like I'm gonna it's usually women going I'm just gonna have some pints with the lads I'm like (laughs) don't say that (laughs) don't do it oh boys pleasure as always we'll be back up the fucking soon Uh, we're gonna have an academy podcast uh, for the patrons out last week we're gonna end up we're gonna end up having it this week um on friday so look forward to that george will be george was too busy saving kids to be talking about that's kids. it so he's gonna be back when he get have a little academy update from our good friend Gio, and then we'll be back obviously for instant reaction after brighton this weekend there'll be a rewatch during the week but until then i hope you have a lovely week anything else to say bradley you got any parting words um Thank you. Blaney, <laughs> Williams, yes. Williams, Bergovic, Blaney, get your money, get your out, money buddy. out, buddy. Actually, do you know? What? I, I think I'd have an AI. I'd like make an AI of Gary Neville and Roy Keane saying something that they didn't say. That was like, I may mean, also be asshole, it's rubbish. Yeah, it's and lads, leaders, just remember,
2: characters, Do are rubbish. If if we're in need of a striker, there's an excellent player in France. He scored 24 goals yeah. this season. Got four assists. Is it this l- He's in the 92nd percentile for non-penalty Laka- goals. Laka-zout. Is uh, it Larkazu? It, yeah, it's yeah, it's um, Alexander Larkazu. Oh, well, we should have a look at him, George. What yeah. do you reckon? We should have a look at him. Work rate top. <laughs> 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 Goal scoring
0: questionable. Oh, God. I have a, to re- say, a real backboard striker for I you. I said
1: there. I said this in our group chat. I said it to Brad. If you look up takeaways in Leon, there's only one shop, <laughs> which I'm I'm not saying is 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 behind the, the turnaround. I'm not saying
2: he was on the Krispy Kremes. I'm at not Arsenal, saying
1: there's a lot of but... takeaways in, in London Colney. <laughs> uh. But I'm just saying. <laughs> right, pleasure as always. Thanks for listening. Uh. Keep it different, knock, and we will see you later. Peace, peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock, and Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at diffknock. Thanks.
0: Podcast Network.